Leanne was sitting to the right of me, and James, her husband, was sitting on the left of me. I was sitting in the middle of their living room when Leanne looked at James and said, I don't know if you can ever come home because you don't, you don't see that you've done anything wrong. And for the next few minutes, she just unloaded on him. And he listened. I'd been their pastor for several years. They'd been married 27 years. And he finally said, uh, how could you say this? I mean, this house, I, I built this house. We've been living in this house. We've raised two children together. How could you accuse me of such things? Everything you've needed, I've, I've, I've worked myself to the bone. No, she said, I, I know all of that. You, you're, you're a great provider. You've given us all of these things that we have. But you don't love me anymore. What do you, how do you say I don't love you anymore? She said, when's the last time you said I love you? Well, he said, I don't, I don't keep a record of that. You know I love you. No, no, I said, you don't say I love you anymore. And you certainly don't show that I love you anymore. When's the last time, you've, when's the last time you bought me anything and it wasn't Christmas? When's the last time you've showed me any kind of affection? You used to be so passionate. And you used to be, and she began to lay out some uh, embarrassing things in front of me. And, and then she said, but you, you don't do that anymore. I don't know what happened. I don't know when our kids, we got busy with our kids and, and we just grown apart and I don't, I don't even know you anymore. James was just stunned. He looked like somebody had slapped him. And he said, what do I have to do? She said, just, just love me like you used to. When we were dating, you just, you loved me so much. Or it seemed like you did. I just, could we ever go back there? And, and what, I called him Jim. I think she calls him Jim usually, but when she's mad at him, she says, James. And what they were experiencing physically in their marriage Christians experience spiritually. That's why we have something called revival. That's why we have something called coming back home to the Lord. I'm calling it this morning, returning to our first love. If you have a copy of God's Word, I believe you do, turn with me to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. I would just want to deliver something that's on my heart about about people who used to be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, we heard the gospel. We know the gospel is true. We knew that we were lost and separated from God. We were uh, sinners and self-righteous and self-centered, doing our own thing, going our own way. We like to make our own decisions, but that, that attitude is called rebellion, and it separates us from God. But he loves us. He loves us so much that he became one of us, a human, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life. He lived a human life, but it was a perfect life, unlike any other human. He never sinned, never said anything wrong, thought anything, did anything wrong. And then in the prime of his life, he laid down his life as a sacrifice to pay for your sin and my sin. And then three days later, he came out of the grave, proving he really is who he says he is. 
And then he made himself available. I'll come inside of you and I'll live through you. And every person who gives them all of their life, listen, every person who gives him all of their life for the rest of their life, he comes and lives inside of them as their Lord and Savior. He, he, the Christian life is not just reading some book and wondering what would he do if he were here. He is here. And he comes to live inside of us. That's a Christian. That's the gospel. And that's what your pastor has been preaching uh, for over 19 years now. Next September will be his 20th anniversary here at this church. And so for both of these brother pastors, uh, Stephen, Pastor Donnie, uh, I honor you. I thank the Lord for you. Men that are faithful like you men are year after year, decade after decade. Thank you for being faithful. Not just on Pastor Appreciation Day or month. But all of those other hard times in life, thank you for your faithfulness. Calvary, this is a big celebration. You ought to be celebrating big today. I was trying to remember if I know of any churches. Besides uh, First Church downtown, there are very, very few churches anywhere in our area that have been in existence as long as you have. So... Thank you for that. Uh, now, now, wait a minute. Longevity is not the same as faithfulness. You can be in existence a long time and not be faithful. But you have endured a long time and remained faithful to the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God. So I salute you for that. Ephesus. Ephesus is now a, a good church. They were once a great church. But now they're only a good church. And the last letter written to them was not from Paul. It was from the Lord Jesus himself. In fact, to me, the whole outline for the book of Revelation is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. When he says in verse 19, Write the things which you have seen and the things which are And the things which will take place after this. The things which you've seen, that's what he wrote in chapter 1. The things which are, present tense, that's chapter 2 and 3. And then chapters 4 through the end of Revelation 22 are the things that will take place after this. There's the outline for the book. It's the only book that I know that gives the outline right at the very beginning. It's the only book that I know that says in the beginning, you'll be blessed just by reading this. And then he writes seven letters. Uh, These are seven churches that literally existed. It is is historical and it is also prophetical. This is not what God said in the past. And it's only historical record that we can look at and maybe glean something to. This is something that he's saying right now. It's something what he's saying today. On October the 8th, 2023, on planet earth. Calvary Baptist Church, here's a letter for us. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You have persevered and have patience, and you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, 
I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the needs of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Keep your Bibles open to there. Let me just pray with you a moment. And, and Lord, I realize my absolute insufficiency to do anything that, that is eternal. I can talk for a few moments. But Lord, we're asking you to do something more than just for a few moments. I'm praying, I'm praying that today, people that are watching or people here in this room, their lives might change and go in a different direction. And only you can do that. It's you who works in us both to desire and to accomplish your good pleasure. So today, I pray in these next few moments, your Holy Spirit would take your Holy Word and apply it to us individually personally. That's what I'm praying, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's, here's this great church called Ephesus. I, I mean, one of the most significant churches in the New Testament. Where the Apostle Paul on his second journey spent a long period of time, went there again on his third journey. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Paul stayed longer in Ephesus than he did in any other place that he ever ministered to. Two and a half years he was there, pouring out his life to these people. And now a church is planted. After two and a half years, he leaves them and then returns only shortly in his third voyage. Only when he's arrested, taken to Rome. He's in Rome in 62. He's coming to the end of his life and he writes this letter to the Ephesians. Years later, John is delivering a message to them that Jesus writes to them. Same church, great church, but now it's only a good church. And Jesus is giving them a warning. I love you. Of the seven churches, this was his first one. I warn you, I love you, and you used to love me. But like, like James and Leanne, the, the, there's, there's been a separation and maybe I'm talking to some brothers or sisters that sometime in your life you were an on fire follower of Jesus Christ. You spoke to people about him. You love spending time with him and in his word. But now through the years, you, you didn't intend for it to happen any more than Jim and Leanne intended it to happen. You just got busy and got involved with so many other things. And before you know it, there's a distance between you. You still love him. I mean, you're here or you're listening, but... the. That fresh love, that first love is no longer there. That's what's happened to these beloveds. And that's why he writes them a letter, please return back to me. Let me show you three truths from this letter that I believe are true for us today. Now remember, this is not ancient history. This is not what he had said in verse 2, or excuse me, verse 1 
These things says he, says, present tense, not perfect tense, not, not past tense. It's not in the past and it's completed and it's never to be repeated again. This is present tense. This is what he says. And it says it again in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Dear brothers and sisters, this is not what God said years ago and we're just reading it and trying to get something from him. This is what he's saying right now to all of us. Listen, he who has an ear, do you have your ears on? Then he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying right now to the churches. To the church, yeah. First of all, there's the commendation of the church. A glowing commendation. I mean... Jesus says something about this church here that's wonderful. If you lived anywhere in the area, when you see what Jesus says about this church, you'd want to be a part of a church like this. He says it in verse 2. Here's what Jesus says about this church. Verse 2. Are you, do you still have your Bible for there? Verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you found them liars, and you've persevered. You've persevered. 137 years is perseverance. You have patience, and you've labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. Thank God. What a glowing commendation about a church. Oh, if there was a church like that, I'd love to be a part of it. And Jesus tells at least four different qualities about this church that made them such a good church. First of all, they were a, a devoted church. Very devoted. He says that in verse 2. I know your works. These were not lazy people. Now, by the way, you can find out about the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 and 20. And then Ephesians chapters 1 through 6. You want to know what the church of Ephesus was like? Very busy church. A hard-working church. They had, in fact, one of the greatest music ministries in the New Testament was at Ephesus. That's why of all the churches in the New Testament, Paul encourages them, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's going to be a, an, an overflow of the Holy Spirit. They had a music program, a singing ministry. They had a children's ministry. We know that. They had a men's ministry, women's ministry. They had a teaching ministry, a doctrinal ministry. They had an evangelism ministry. Paul says in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 20, you know that I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Here's a church that really believes you can knock on people's door and take the gospel from house to house. Evangelism, teaching, singing, outreach. Man, what a, what a busy, busy church. You are devoted. He says, I know your works and your labor. Now, the word labor is a different word than uh, erga, uh, works. While works talks about uh, service, labor talks about sacrifice. Yeah, these were people who were willing to roll up their sleeves and get busy and work and serve and whatever it took to win people to Christ and teach them God's word. And they did it with great sacrifice. Not just sweat, but sacrificial service. Now, beloved, you, you can... You can have a good church without a big parking lot. You can have a, big, a good church without big buildings. But you cannot have a great church without work. It takes work. 
I was thinking earlier this morning about Dr. Jerry Vines, and they had a, when Dr. Vines was pastor of First Baptist Church Jacksonville, they had a pastor's conference year after year, and one of those years, Tiber and I was there, and um, we were leaving in between sessions and walking out the door, and on this table of resources, there was uh, little pamphlets, how to grow a great church, three ways to grow a great church. Well, I wouldn't know what those three things were. So I took it, it opened it up, and page two, it said work. And page three, it said work. And then on the back, it said work. You can't have a great church without people being willing to work. And I know you, here's here's the issue. As a church grows and gets larger, it adds more and more ministries. And if a church ever not has that many members, very seldom do they cut back on their ministries. It's just more people doing more work. And you get busier than ever before. So you're, those in this room, probably the busiest in all of Calvary Baptist Church. I'm just guessing that's how it is. But Baptists are usually very, very busy people. Mary had a little lamb that grew up to be a sheep. And then it joined a Baptist church and died for lack of sleep. Because usually you're going from one meeting to another to another, and it's a lot of work. That's the church of Ephesus. They were a devoted church. But not only were they a devoted church, they were a very disciplined church. A disciplined church. He says in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. You're somebody that cannot put up with liberalism. You're somebody that believes the word of God and your truth. And if you're truth, you cannot put up with error. That word bear with is the same phrase that Paul uses over and over again. Jesus is using that phrase. You cannot bear with. You cannot hold the the weight of those who are evil. The scripture says we're to bear with one another. Bearing with one another is the fruit of the Spirit. But bearing with those who are evil, we cannot do that. They were disciplined. They knew what the Word of God says and they were not going to move from it. And because they were disciplined, they were a disciplined church. They were a church that wasn't going to put up with evil. But not, listen, not only were they devoted and disciplined, they were a discerning church. They could tell the difference between truth and error. Verse 2, I know your work, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you found them liars. Wait wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. You mean people would claim to be an apostle that's not an apostle? (laughs) Well, of course they do. We have people today in Wilmington. I've seen their advertisements that uh, apostle, well, they'll call themselves apostle, uh, uh, apostle this man or apostle this one. I don't know what a feminine apostle is. But anyhow, they call themselves, just because they call themselves apostles doesn't mean that there are no apostles today, beloved. There are no apostles today. Well, I, don't, I know they call themselves apostles. I have a grandson that calls himself Superman. He's not Superman either. So you can call yourself an apostle and not be, in the first century, By the time the book of Revelation was written, they say there were over 400 different people who were going around calling themselves an apostle of Jesus. They were were one of the followers of Jesus who were an eyewitness of him, and he was one of their apostles. Now, we know there were 12 apostles. Uh, Paul was the 13th. Uh, 
who's really the 12th, and, and yet, how do you know who's an apostle or not? You have to know what the Word of God says. And this is a church that was so discerning spiritually that they were able to test people and could tell whether they were an apostle or they were a liar. And they found them to be liars. Now, wait a minute. Do you know the Word of God that well? And, thank God, Calvary Baptist Church, not everybody can be a teacher in the school here. Not everybody can be a teacher in the church here. You'd be very careful who preaches from the pulpit. You're very careful who teaches in your classroom. Thank God for that. You have a right. Here's what I've noticed through the years. The stronger the light is, the more bugs you'll attract. The stronger a church preaches the Word of God and holds to the truth of the Word of God is, you, you get all kind of weirdos coming in. And uh, won't be long till they, hey, I wish you'd give me a class. I want to teach this class. And I want to go through the book of Revelation. I want to describe whatever toe means on the foot of, of a beast in Revelation. I'm going to go through it. And if, if you have to be very discerning of scriptures. That's what the church of Ephesus was. They knew the word of God like you do. In fact, that's why he says in verse 6, This you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Not the Nicolodians, by the way. That's another thing. It's the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans, if you know your church history, were the very first group of people who had a hierarchy. They believed in such a thing as a hierarchy. Uh, there were these guys in the church who were apostles, and then under them were bishops, and under bishops there were pastors, and under pastors there's evangelists and pastors uh, or teachers, and, then, uh, and they have this different hierarchy of the church. And nowhere in the Word of God do you have that. Uh, that there's this hierarchy or that one is a sp superior in their spirituality than another and you don't have that in the word of God this is what he says I hate also here's the loving God who says I hate this ideal of a hierarchy we don't have that so here's a church devoted disciplined discerning and very dedicated and determined I mean they wouldn't give up uh, they were completely determined when you see in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Boy, that's a tough word, isn't it? You, you, you have patience. And then he says in verse 3, you've persevered and have patience. They wouldn't give up. I mean, I, I, I call the church of Ephesus the energizer church. Uh, they just kept going and going and going. Uh, they didn't believe if you can't lick them, join them. They, they believed if you can't lick them, just keep on licking. Just keep on working. Just keep on going. They wouldn't give up. They wouldn't back up. They wouldn't shut up. Uh, they, they, were a, they were a determined church to keep going. Calvary, again, praise the Lord for your determination. 137 years, you keep shining the light and keep going in this community. Thank you for doing that. That's like the church of Ephesus. And this is especially amazing when you find out what a kind of a culture they were in. Have you studied Ephesus? The second most important city in the Roman Empire coming only after Rome was Ephesus. It was known, it was known for its commerce. It was on the main thoroughfare, north, south, and east and west. Anywhere that you went, you had to go through its modern-day Turkey. But in that time, it was Ephesus. 
And it was a main trade route. Therefore, people from all kinds of countries and languages and races were coming through there. It was known for its commerce. It was also known for its culture. There was a great Colosseum built in Ephesus that would hold at least 25,000 people, spectators. They would watch theatrical events. They would watch sporting events. was well known for that. Known for its culture, known for its commerce, but known for its cults. You remember in Ephesians, oh no, it's in Acts chapter 19. Paul is taking the gospel to Ephesus. And on Ephesus, there's a hill with a huge temple. One of the seven wonders of the world was the temple to Artemis, the, the god of love. Uh, uh, and Diana, the goddess of love. Perversion is what it was. Sexual perversion, immorality, homosexuality, 700 temple prostitutes. They called them priests uh, who were homosexuals, bisexuals, all kind of perversion in those days. What a dark, dark culture it was, known for its cults and commerce. It's, it's in that terrible darkness that the light of Jesus Christ bursts forth. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, uh, you're to shine your light and have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And there's that church of Ephesus. While they were surrounding darkness, they didn't become dark. They exposed the darkness around them. Here's a church that Jesus gives this glowing commendation. And then he gives a criticism of the church. The criticism of the church. Who would dare criticize a church that all of these great things going for it? Well, the one who started the church, the Lord Jesus... And he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Nevertheless, that word nevertheless, yes, all of these things are true. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I have this against you. Beloved, can I tell you, at the end of the day, when, we, when it's finally all over, it won't matter what the community may think about you. And it may not matter what Wilmington thinks about you. It won't matter what Southern Baptists think about you. When it comes to the very end, the only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks about you. And so he says, while all of this is true, nevertheless, I have this against you. You left your first love. It's, it's not that you don't love me anymore. It's just that I'm not number one anymore. What is a first love? Those of you who've been married, do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? I mean, when, when that spouse of yours was the first love. By first, I don't mean the first that you've ever had. I mean, it's the greatest. It's, I mean, nothing is comparison to that. They come first. What that person wants, when that person wants, how that person wants. That's the uh, number one concern of your life. They're your first love. Tiber and I fell in love Wait a minute. Uh, 54 years ago, this month, 54 years ago, we started back in those days, we called it going steady because I loved her. And let me tell you, this love after 54 years keeps maturing and growing deeper and hotter and greater. It's the first love, but, but it, it doesn't always remain first. 
Anytime I allow anything else to come between she and I, uh, she's not the first love. I must love something else. Because when you really, when you're really, and do you remember what it was like when you fell in love for the first time? And that person that you're living with right now, when you, when you were so passionate, hot, in love with them, do you remember that? This would be a good time to go like this. If you do, remember that. Now, if you don't, don't lie. But you do remember that, don't you? Well, I'm going to go ahead anyhow. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you're in love with somebody, There are certain priorities of that person that come before any other thing in your life. And when you, for example, when you really love someone, uh, one of those priorities is time. You'll spend as much time as you want to with them, and time is of no essence. I mean, uh, remember you would spend hours and hours, uh, you'd talk about things. I remember we'd go somewhere and, and for hours talk about uh, do you like onions on your hot dog? Or what, what don't you like about it? Do you like mustard? And the real deep things in life. And you'd look at, hey, it'd be five hours. And i got, I got to take her home. And I'd take her home. And I'd finally get back to my ham. We didn't have cell phones in those days. It was the last century. But I'd take her home. And then as soon as I got back home, I'd get on the phone. And you know what we'd do? Hey, what you doing? And then we would talk. We'd, because when you're really in love with somebody... Time really doesn't matter. You want to spend all the time you can with them. Um, if, if you're with somebody that you don't really know that well, then you, you won't spend much time with them. In fact, when you're around a stranger, what do you talk about with a stranger? You talk about the weather. And don't you love this weather? And then you talk about what the weather was. And then you talk about what the weather's going to be and... Well, it's been 15 seconds, and now what we're going to talk about? And that's what it's like when you're with somebody you don't really know. And that may be what your prayer life is like. Maybe that's your devotional life. Because there's no closeness there. When you're, really, when you're really in love with somebody, time is of no essence. And, and, and really, money is no essence. When you really love somebody, you'll, you'd, You'd work all of those hours and you'd spend all of that money on that person because you don't know if they really like But you, you, you love them so much, everything that you have you would spend on that other person. So when a person tells me today, uh, I just want to ask you something, Pastor. Do we have to tithe in this day and age? Uh, friend, tithing is not your issue. Love is your issue. Because when you really love somebody... Time doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Service doesn't matter. When you really love somebody, you'll do anything for them. Serve them in any way. I, would, uh, we did, I didn't have a car. She didn't have a car. But her dad had a truck. Her mom had a car. I would vacuum those out. I would do anything I could to try to serve in some way. To just Here's how much I love you. and I'll do anything for you. So when I talk to somebody about being a, a part of some ministry in the church, and they say, I don't, I don't know if they have the time. Their issue is not time. Their issue is love. Because I'm telling you, when that person is your, the love of your life, you'll do anything for them at any time for them and spend any amount of money for them. And, and you don't mind being passionate and show them how much you talk about them all the time. Emotion and passion just naturally flows out of a person's heart that's in love. When our oldest son 
was in college and he was taking his, his time in college and we called the, remember in those days we had no cell phones and I remember us calling him and I was on one phone and Tibor was on another. We were asking how it was going and he said, oh, hey, uh, in the church where I am, uh, I met this girl and, and so I said, that's, that's good. But now school, how's it going in school? And, and hey, did I tell you this? She's a teacher in school. And she's helping me a lot with my school now. And we, we went last weekend. We spent some time. And so his mother interrupted him finally and said, okay, but now English. Let's talk about how you're doing this year in English in your first year of college. And he said, she's a math teacher. Did I tell you that? She's a math teacher, but she helps me also with me. And he couldn't keep talking about her. Who, by the way, now, after these 18 years and four children, he still is in love with her because when you're in love with somebody, you're passionate about it and you can't keep it to yourself. If somebody has to beg you or manipulate you or coerce you or plead with you, please tell somebody about Jesus, your problem is not evangelism, your problem is love. Because when you're in love with somebody, all of these things are just... Is any of this, is God saying anything to you through any of this? There's the commendation of the church. There's the criticism of the church. And one last thing, there's the counsel to the church. It's really a Jesus saying, you don't have to stay like this. Oh, I was so glad. I was so glad. I remember that night as a young preacher telling Leanne and Jim, you don't have to stay like this. Hey, uh, here's what you need to do. And this is before I ever knew that this is what Jesus said this church to do. But beloved, you can fall back in love. You can return to your first love. How do you do that? There's three steps. Step number one, remember. Just remember. He says in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you've fallen. You lose something. You can't find something. What do you do? You retrace your steps. Hey, where did I have my phone last? Where did I have my keys last? And I did when I was there. And you re- that's that's what you do with your first love. You remember when you you remember when you were first in love with the Word of God. I mean, you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you found out about his word and you're, you're running references and, and reading the books of the Bible. It was so fresh to you, you couldn't get enough of it. When did you stop? You remember when you got up early and started spending time with the Lord and they taught you about this thing of, of a devotional life? When did you stop? What was it? Now instead of having your face in the book, now you get up and turn on Facebook? When did you stop? Remember from where you've fallen. Step number two, repent. He says in verse five, remember therefore from where you've fallen, repent. Repent? I thought he's talking to a church. He's talking to save people. Jesus uses the term repent more to save people than to lost people. And he says repent. Why? Repent of what? Repent of the greatest sin you could ever commit. The greatest sin that a person can ever commit is not murder or incest or molestation. Those are horrible sins. It's not homosexuality. Those are terrible sins. The worst sin. What's the greatest commandment? 
the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. It's to love Him first and foremost. Therefore, the greatest sin is to not love Him first. After He's done everything that He's done for us and then for us to put Him third or fourth or down on the list, oh, we still love Him. We do want to go to heaven when we die. But He's not first in our life. Oh, God, forgive me. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent and step three, repeat. He says, remember, repent and do the first works. What are the first works? Loving him with my totality of my being. I mean, where he's first in every area in my life. Jesus Christ and what he wants come first. Remember, repent and repeat. Or, or, there's another option. Or be removed. It's what he says in verse 5. Or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Why would you remove a lampstand? Because it's not shining the light. It's just taking up space. A lightless lamp is a loveless lamp. A loveless lamp is a lifeless lamp. It's taking up space. You've got, you've got an option. Ephesus, you've got an opposite option. What, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you, they did. Go to Ephesus today. Hey, go take a tour of Paul's journeys, and you'll stop in this uh, Greek city called Ephesus. And they'll take you outside the city to a bunch of stones and grass and say, we believe the church was somewhere around here. Not there. In fact, we read about it in the first century and the beginning of the second century, but from the third century, we have no record of them existing. They were about, they were about your age. When they decided to do nothing. They got this letter. But I'm not going to I'm going to remember. Just like Jim. Leanne says, I don't, I don't think you think you've done anything wrong. He hadn't committed adultery. He hadn't got drunk. He hadn't hurt anybody. He just didn't love her like he used to. That's what broke her heart. And brothers and sisters, that's what would break Jesus' heart this morning. If you dare sit here and celebrate 137 years, but you don't love him with all of your heart like you once did. So let me ask you seven questions for you to ask yourself. Question number one. Was there ever a time I was more in love with Jesus than I am right now? Ever a time. Was there ever a time I loved to worship him more than I do today? You remember there was a time when, man, no matter how long the service went or what happened, you, you were so involved with worship, you couldn't wait to worship, and now, now you got to instead of you get to. Number three, was there ever a time I loved to spend time with him more than I do today? Remember those times when you, you spent a lot of time with him, and now, hey, you're a busy, busy person. He can fix that like that. 
Number four, was there ever a time I gave more to him than I do today? I'm not just talking about a man. I'm talking about sacrifice. Number five, was there ever a time I talked to others about him? But you don't do that anymore. Or number six, was there ever a time I served him more than I do today? And last of all, was there ever a time I was more excited about it? More excited about him. I mean, you know how you, I put my arm around Tebra, I hold hands with Tebra, I'll kiss Tebra in front of my boy because I'm more concerned about her than I am anybody else. When you're in love with somebody, passion and excitement is just naturally there. Are you that way about the Lord Jesus? If not, there's an old man in front of you on October the 8th that just delivered a message saying at homecoming, Hey, come back home. Jesus is waiting on you. And he loves you just as much as he did at the very beginning. Would you come back to him today? In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. Just stand to your feet and bow your heads. We're going to end with this hymn of invitation. And if you're watching, I want you to just pause with us right now. Because maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. If so, friend, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. There's no greater day to do that than today. The pastor will be standing right here at the altar, and I'm going to ask you to leave where you're standing and come and take him and say, Pastor, I want to give all my life to Jesus. He can't save you. I can't save you. But we can take you to this person who will save you. Would you humble yourself and say, I want to be saved today? Or maybe you've been saved and you've not followed him in baptism. Say, Pastor, I need to be baptized now as a follower of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. Or maybe you feel the call of God on your life and you want to say, Pastor, I want to surrender to God's call on my life. I don't know where or what, but I know he's called me to ministry and I want to do that the rest of my life. Those are three things that you need to ask your pastor to pray with you about. But maybe if God's word is true, and it is, and God's Holy Spirit is here and He is. Maybe He's talked to your heart and you just need to talk to Him this morning. Then I'm going to ask you, not for my benefit, but for yours and His. I'm going to ask you to leave where you're standing and come and kneel at the altar. You're saved, you're baptized, you're a part of the church. But God has spoken to your heart and said, come home. And I want you to just come and kneel at the altar and say, Lord, forgive me. Here's the area you've convicted me. And just to explain it to him, would you forgive me? And Lord, today I repent, and I'm going back to those first works. Yeah, it's, Heavenly Father, you're very clear. I understand you. So I'm asking in these next few seconds, every person in this room and every person that's watching would obey what you've told them to do, because you deserve that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing, the altar's open, the altar's open, pastor's here, you start coming. Let's stand and sing together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus.
decided to fall. 